Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. So, but it is great to be with you today. And uh, we are in week number three of this sermon series. We're called Seasons. I told you beginning of the year, I said, listen, I wanted to preach a really uh, shallow series that will tell you everything's going to be great this year. Let's go after the great things of God. And that, that's, that's true. God has great things in store for your life, but they don't always feel great when they're happening. And, and you don't always, are not always on the mountaintop. There's different seasons of your life. And so we established that two weeks ago. And last week, if you were here, we talked about winter, winter, the season of getting prepared. Remember I told you, uh, you can either have two mindsets in winter. You can either be buried or buried, however you say it, or you can be planted. And so I wanted to teach you to have a planted mindset. God is getting me ready right now. He's going to do something in my life so that he can accomplish something through my life. And what, what do you do in the middle of winter? You, you wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord. But here's the good news. Winter does not last forever. Winter doesn't last forever. We know that from scripture. Daniel 2, another verse talking about seasons. Watch what, what, watch what he says. He says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times he changes seasons. He disposes kings. He raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. One of my favorite verses in scripture, my dad used to share a lot uh, when he was preaching. He was a big vision guy, dreams guy, you know, pursue the things God has for you. Believe the big things that God wants to do for your life. He used to read through Habakkuk a lot. I remember him preaching through this, this, this passage in church. And, and it talks about this in Habakkuk too. It says, for the revelation awaits a point in time. That God is revealing the good things he wants to do in your life. And it is, it is going to be revealed. It's, it's waiting for an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. So what are you going to do? You're going to wait because God's going to change the season eventually. But my job here is I'm going to, I'm going to wait. But then spring comes. If, listen, if, if winter is waiting, right, winter is, is waiting around for God, then spring is all about motion, Winter is waiting. If you if you are trying to track with me, spring is motion. Let's just let's just let's just dream for a second. Can we do that? Uh, let's dream that winter never comes this year. Anybody excited about like it? It has been the most mild January, so you know it's coming. Like eventually we're gonna get to March and it's gonna be like, all right, and that's that's the blizzard sound. And so, right, it's just gonna drop on us and we're gonna think we're gonna get out of it and it's gonna warm up for a few days in February. We're gonna be like, we're not gonna have winter. Winter's gonna hit us eventually. But let's just say it's a really mild winter and we get through it. Beginning of March happens, you know, the seasons begin to turn. Days begin to get longer. You know, they turn the clock clock forward, I think, and you lose an hour of sleep and it feels awful. Are we doing that this year? That's still a thing. But days get longer. Uh, birds start chirping. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, little baby animals. You start seeing little baby animals, the bunnies and all those things. They got bored during winter. They made, made, made babies. And so you know how, how it works. And so, you know what I'm talking about? Like we have a thousand babies because of COVID in this church right now. And so just happened. And so you guys, we just made babies. It's a good thing, right? And so it, it, like they're making babies. You're going to start seeing babies. Uh, uh, stuff starts to grow on trees. You start to see little buds. Like, like stuff begins to come back to life. You can smell spring. You ever go out and just smell it? Like winter smells like death. Am I honest? It just smells, 
It smells like nothing is going on. It smells cold. It smells like snow. Spring begins to smell like, like you're just fresh. You walk out, you have your cup of coffee, you hear, you hear the birds sing, and you're reading your Bibles. The Lord is good, right? Spring is a season where stuff starts to blossom. But there's another part of spring that I hate. You ever heard, heard, hear the term spring cleaning? Winter is a time of waiting, but it's also a time of slothfulness and laziness. I don't go out much. I don't wear my sweatpants. You know, I'm growing into these things. Uh, it's really far away from the summer. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's dark, and so I probably shouldn't get up early and exercise because it's dark, and it's dark when I get home, so I probably should just lay around in my sweatpants and, you know, watch Netflix and relax, and maybe I should just live in these sweatpants. And then, and then, and then spring comes, and you, you go outside, and you, you see all these things growing, but if you own a home or you have any responsibility, you see work. You see a yard that starts growing, and in the yard that starts growing, what you see is limbs and trees everywhere. You have a day where you have to gather them and move them out of the way so that when you start mowing, it doesn't ruin your blade. You see a deck that, you know, was once well kept and pretty, but has gone through the season of winter. And if you go out to my house, it's covered and surrounded by trees. And in every crack of the deck, the tree has mocked me by dropping its crap on my deck. Every spring I go out there and I pressure wash everything off, but the stuff in the cracks don't move. And I get on my hands and knees with a butter knife and I just flick it up like this, every crack of my deck to get it clean, right? And so what I see is work. I look at my stuff on my deck and I realize I got a pressure wash. I got green all over there. I look at my patio and I, what was once pretty is now filled with moss and I got to spray it off. But when I spray it off, all the sand goes away and I got to redo the sand. And then when I get the sand off, the sand goes into my flower bed and messes my flower. So should I keep going? My flower beds need mulch, Shep's, Shep's mulch yard or whoever will come down my driveway, beep, 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 open up their thing and drop 11 yards of mulch, boom, right there. There's just work. It's a season of, of potential and possibilities and growth and motion, but it also comes equipped with, with more work. I don't know if you ever experienced this in your life. Like I remember being in seasons of waiting in winter, even in this church, 2005, 2006, 2007, not much happened. And we get a building in 2007 into 2008, church begins to start and people become, begin to become, come to Journey Church. And all of a sudden what I realized is when nobody was there, it was depressing, but it was easy. And now people are coming and they are a lot of work. And you have to think of processes and situations and, and nursery care and parking lot attendance. And listen, more people meant more problems. And so it comes with all this potential for growth, but it also brings more, more work. If winter is waiting, spring is motion. Here's the problem. Oftentimes in our waiting, we get too comfortable. We get dormant in our spirit. We start to actually enjoy the dirt that we're in. And it's not that bad. When God comes around and says, okay, it's time to, to, to go, we, wanna, we want him to take us without having to do any of the work. Listen, listen, the potential for growth is going to be available in the season of spring, but it's not automatic. Spring brings, br brings growth. Growth presents change. Change requires movement or motion in your life. We'll often find that these moments that we are called to move bring discomfort. And if we're truly honest with ourselves, we love comfort too much. Maybe, maybe you don't agree with that, but I know in my own life, I prefer comfort. 22 years old, I got married. I was comfortable. I finally, you know, got to, got to marry the woman of my dreams. And, 
and, and, and you know the rest of it. And, and it was just comfort and comfort bred, you know, just weight gain in my life. And I remember I was comfortable when I got married and I weighed a certain amount. And within two years of marriage, I had put on for the glory of God and 45 pounds or roughly something like that. I was happy and married, and I remember my first, my first job, the, 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 the dress code was a lot different. It was a different kind of church. I used to have to wear dockers on Sunday morning. You know what I'm talking about? Dockers from Kohl's, and so I used to wear dockers all the time and, and go to church, and so I remember I had all these dockers I was wearing, and about a year and a half in, I realized these dockers are, are too tight, right? It was a Saturday night. I trying on my outfit, trying to figure out what shirt I was going to tuck into my dockers and what belt I was going to wear and what color dress shoes I was going to wear, how to make this look cool, right, and all this stuff, and I tried to put my pants on, and not one of them buttoned. So I got in my car, and I made a trip to Kohl's, right? That's where you get dockers from. And I went into Kohl's about 7 o'clock at night, and I needed new dockers, and, and, I, and I went into the section, and I found dockers had a, new, had a new invention, and the invention was pants that had built-in expanders in them. <laughs> 24 years old, I had hit a new low in my life. I purchased three of those. I came home. I put them on for my wife. I was super excited. I was squatting. I was moving around. I was showing her. I remember I had my shirt off and my dockers on. I'm like, look at these pants, Leah. They move with you. They'll grow with you, right? They're extra comfort. My wife looked at me and she said, you're fat. That changed me. I like comfort, right? The problem is when God calls you to movement, it oftentimes takes you out of your comfort zone and so we miss the spring the growing seasons in our life because we get too comfortable in the waiting seasons and then we're going God do something and God's saying I'm trying to move you out of the pot that I planted you in but you won't work with me and so I want to take you through what it takes to what I would call spring into action do you get it you like that play on words to spring into action in your life now let me just let me just some of you I talked about winter and last week you're like okay I'm in winter and, and just because I'm talking about spring doesn't mean it's time for you to go yet like you've been single for a week stay single get back in that dirt right <laughs> you, 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 you just started getting prepared but some of you when I preach you're like yeah I've been in that dirt for a long time and God's been stirring something in me, and I feel like it's time for me to go. He's leading my next step, and I'm afraid. That, let, let me, that is one of the ways you know that spring is coming. When you get, it's easier for you to stay where you're at than it is for you to go. Like, that, that is spring. Oftentimes, we think spring like this. Well, when God works all the steps out and makes everything easy, then I'm supposed to leave. That is the exact opposite of how he works. I'm, I'm, let me tell you, when I was 25 years old, I started this church. That's how I thought God works. Okay, I'm going to spring into action. I'm going to start this church. And if I start this church and it's God's will, he's going to do A, B, C, D, and E. He's going to work everything out. We're going to have this many people. And he did none of that for me. You know what he did? He beat me up spiritually for about three years. He stripped me. He took things from me. Even though I was in spring and he was doing something in my life, I wasn't waiting anymore on him, so to speak. But there was work that had to be involved in it. And the problem is most of us, we want to be bystanders with God. Okay, God, you just do the miracle. But he needs your participation. Let, 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 me, show you, let me show you one of my favorite examples in Scripture of somebody who was called to spring into action. His name's Moses. Moses. If you know the, the story of Moses, I was actually talking to my barber this week, and he, he was asking, what are you going to preach on? He's been watching. He was like, oh, yeah, Moses. He was like, I love Moses. That's Moses in the ark. And I said, no, nah, man, it's not Moses in the ark. And then he said, you're going to talk about me sometime, right? And I said, yeah, I'm going to talk about you this week because you said it was Moses in the ark. And so what's up, buddy? And so, right? <laughs> We're still working on it. But maybe you don't understand the story of Moses. Let me just give you a little background of who Moses was so you understand. 
Moses was a, born as an, uh, a Jewish slave, right? And so if you know the Bible at all, Moses' story comes after Joseph. If you read the Bible, it feels like he came right after Joseph, but there was about 400 and some odd years between uh, Joseph and Moses. Joseph, he, was, he, he found favor with, the, with the, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt. He brought his family there. That Pharaoh died off. The next Pharaohs turned the Jewish people into slaves. And by the time Moses is born, most theologians believe there's over a million Jewish slaves working for the Egyptian empire. They're building the Egyptian empire. And so Moses is born at a time when uh, they're making a lot of babies. It reminds me of Journey Church now, right? And so they're just making a lot of babies. And the Pharaoh actually says to himself, they're going to continue to make too many babies, and they're going to overpower us and overtake us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill every baby boy under the age of two. This is at the time that Moses was born. Moses is born. His mom finds out. She doesn't want them to kill Moses, and so she weaves a basket. She places this baby in the Nile River. By the way, it's crocodile infested. And she floats him down the river. Here's her thinking. I'd rather him be eaten by a crocodile than be killed by the hands of the evil Egyptians. By the grace and the sovereignty of God, he floats down the river and floats right by the princess of Egypt. She opens up the basket. She sees the baby. Her heart breaks for this baby. She takes him in. And for the first 40 years of his life, she raises him as her own. You talk about luck. He goes from being a slave to being raised as a prince. He eats Egyptian food. He has Egyptian clothes. He, he doesn't work. He's being educated in the best places. I mean, this, this young man has everything. All he needs to do is stay the course, play the part, you know, be a good Egyptian, right? Do whatever he needs to do. He's 40 years old, and he's walking around this kingdom being built. And I don't think he sees something he's never seen before because it was very common occurrence, but something snapped in him. He saw an Egyptian soldier abusing a Jew a slave and something snapped in him and he killed the soldier and instantly his life was changed forever. He realized now I'm, I'm a Jewish guy acting as an Egyptian prince. They're going to find out what I've done. I'm a traitor. They're going to kill me. And so he runs. He goes to the wilderness and it's there he spends what I would call his winter years. 40 years. He's in the wilderness. He learns a new job. He's no longer a prince. He's now a farmer. Uh, he marries uh, a, a woman. His father-in-law's name is Jethro. It's fitting. Jethro just sounds like a farmer, right? Like, he has a couple kids. He's minding his own business. He's 80 years old. He's lived an entire different life. He's running from his past. He's, he's settled in. He's in winter, but he's comfortable. And this is the moment oftentimes that God comes. He's minding his own business, the Bible says, and he's walking along, and he sees a bush that's burning, but it will not will not fall apart. It's on fire. The bush starts to talk to him. It gets from kind of weird to even weirder. Out of the bush, he hears a voice. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. And God begins to have a conversation with Moses. And here's what he tells Moses in Exodus chapter 3. You can go read. I don't have tons of time to read this story, but I, I do want you to see what he says so you, you're clear with what's next for him. He says, go I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to bring the pe my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. By the way, the Pharaoh of Egypt would have been like his brother. I'm going to send you back to the dude you grew up with to tell him to let my people go. Now, Moses is living a peace-filled, comfortable life in the winter. He's quiet. 
he's, he's buried, he's unknown, he's not fearful for his life, and now God is going to send him back to the place where he's a wanted man. What do you think happens? What happens with us most of the time when God asks us to do something we don't want to do? We have excuses. I heard this week, I, was, I wrote it down in my notes real fast. It said, excuses make today easy, but tomorrow difficult. Write it down somewhere. Discipline makes today hard, but tomorrow easy. We make excuses. You want me to go do this? Let me just tell you about yourself. And so they has this conversation. I love the, the interaction between Moses and, and God. The Bible says in Moses, uh, Exodus chapter 1, Moses answers him. What if they did not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord didn't appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He says, a staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground, and it becomes a snake, and he runs from it. Duh, it's a snake, right? Like, this would be the end of this conversation with God, with me. Like, I'm not doing the snakes, God. I love you, but no, right? And so, and the Bible says, he replied, the Lord said, throw it on the ground. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. <laughs> no, right? So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff. Then said the Lord, this is so that they may believe the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I love that part. Anytime the Bible says that, God is usually speaking to somebody who's a screw-up. And he's trying to remind them that I'm the God of the screw-up. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. Those guys all did great things, but they all also had massive failures in their life. So he's trying to remind Moses, listen, I know you're a murderer and you're on the run and you're ashamed of your past, but I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. He was a liar. He, he played favorites. I'm the God of Jacob. He was really a liar. I'm the God of Abraham. He had a, he had, he had a baby, he had a wedlock. Like he did all sorts of stupid things. He lied about his wife being his wife one time. Don't even get me started. If I could use their life, I can use your life. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then the, Lord, then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. This is where God just starts to show off. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back in your cloak. And Moses put his hand back in his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they don't believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. I, that, that's not good enough, God. You see what he's saying? I'm not going to give you all the answers. I'm going to talk about this in a second. They might believe that first sign. They might not. How many of us, when we're following God's plan, we're like, no, 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 no. I need you to tell me exactly how this is going to work out, God. Exactly what to do next. But if they don't believe these two signs, they'll listen to you, take some water from the Nile River, pour it on the ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. And Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor in the, in the, in the future. I, I can't speak good. I'm slow in speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who, who gives sight? Who, give, who makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak and teach you what to say. What does he say again? But, but, but I like how, how uh, uh, politically correct he is with God. Now, pardon your servant, God. Please send someone else. I, I'm comfortable. I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in winter. I'm relaxing. I'm hiding. I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but, but, I'm, but I'm comfortable. And here's what happens. We get in this comfortable waiting season, and God comes, and we're like, nah, choose someone else. So let me just give you a few thoughts. Let me give you a few thoughts. When God comes to you, how do you spring into action? Here's the very first thing you do. I want you to begin to use fear as fuel. I want you to use fear as fuel. You know the Bible says that fear is a good thing. Did you know that? 
as long as you fear the right thing. Some of you have fear of life, you have fear of darkness, you have fear of the unknown, you have, you have fear of, of, of being sick, you have fear of spiders, fear of snakes, fear of, fear of heights, fear, you're afraid of everything. Some of you are just afraid because you're afraid, right? Like, we, 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 we're not born with that, we develop that oftentimes because we try to walk without the Lord, and so we develop fear of everything. But there is a fear that the Bible says is a good thing. Watch what the Bible says in Proverbs 9. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I want to teach you a concept. I'm going to teach you a concept. I want you to get to the point in your life where you are afraid um, that you are going to miss out on the good things that God wants to do both in and through your life. And you use that fear to fuel your obedience. So I want you to think about this for a second. I want to just talk about it. And, I, and I've, I've shared this before. And this, this is something that it kind of keeps me up at night. And so a few things keep me up at night. Uh, sometimes hell keeps me up at night. The thought of it, uh, if I'm just being honest, I know that sounds like such a pastor thing to say, but I'm, I'm like, it bothers me, right? Like if hell's real, it bothers me. It bothers me to watch people walk in brokenness. But another thing that bothers me personally is the thought that I would live my life and not reach my full spir spiritual potential for the Lord. Like I, I'll get to heaven someday, I, I've told you this before, and uh, God, God say, hey, you got here, good job. You made it. You got here in your spiritual Hyundai, right? Right? Like, you got here. Yeah, it's electric, God. Okay, you did it, right? It was fiscally responsible. Okay, you did it. But, but him be like, but I wanted you spiritually to be driving around in a Porsche or something like, something relevantly cool like that. I don't know what's cool anymore. And so, like, something like that. And for me to get to heaven and for him to say, you got here, but this is what you were supposed to do. I'm married, so I, I believe I married God's best, but some of you, I want to I I get a little fear. You're about to marry somebody you're not supposed to marry. You're dating somebody you shouldn't date, and God's going to pull back the curtain and say, you married them, but here's who you should have married. And you're going to go, what? <laughs> you worked at that job. You pursued that career. You, you found your identity in money. Nobody's going to remember you. Here's what I wanted you to do to leave a legacy in this world. But you were afraid. You are afraid of stepping out, and you eventually in your life, you got to get, get afraid, and here's what you got to do. You got to be more fearful of what you're missing out on than what you're letting go of. Be more fearful of what you're, think about this. One of my favorite stories in the, in the New Testament that I heard a pastor explain is the story of the rich young ruler. Anybody ever hear that story? And so it, it seems really unfair. If you read the Bible, you're like, this seems really unfair because like Peter, you ask him to follow you, Jesus. And when you ask him to leave everything behind, he's leaving behind a failing fisher, you know, fishing business, right? Like it's not like he left behind prestige. Duke couldn't catch fish, right? And so God said, I'm going to use you to catch, to catch men, right? And so and I'm going to use you to fish for men. You can't, you're bad at this, right? And so like, like this guy was good. He, he owned businesses. He had prestige. He, he had nice, he had nice clothes. The Bible called him a rich young ruler, but he comes to Jesus and he asks a question. He says, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to follow you? What, what do I got to do? What does Jesus say? God, sell everything. Now, that seems really unfair until you think about what they were about to go do. The guys and the girls that were with Jesus we're about to watch Jesus go to the cross, die, come back from the dead, 
see them as he walked through walls, show them the scars on his head, tell them to go wait in the upper room, send the power of the Holy Spirit, and those 120 individuals who were fully following Jesus would go on to change the world through the power of Jesus Christ. And what did the rich young ruler get to do? Keep his stuff. And some of you are going to miss God because you're afraid of letting go of what he wants you to let go of. You need to be more afraid of what you're missing out on. Use fear as your, your fuel. I think, I think Moses would tell us that. Like imagine if Moses would have said no at the burning bush. We're not talking about him thousands of years later. If he'd say, you know what, I'm pretty comfortable here. My father-in-law's name is Jethro. He's giving me a good spot on his farm. I got a nice two-bedroom house. I got a herd of sheep that I take care of. I got a pet dog. I got two boys that, that, are, that are pretty nice. My wife's pretty, pretty hot. Like, like I, got, I got it all. Like, this is good enough for me. I want to live a simple. Ever say that when you're, when you're arguing with God? I'm just trying to live a simple life, God. Right? Simple life oftentimes is a safe life. Safe is often our excuse to not follow into, into what God is calling us to do. Because what God is calling us to do often feels dangerous. Often feels like we need him. Use fear as fuel. No, number two is this. Stop trying to figure out all the answers. Type A people, raise your hand. Raise it high. Some of you are like, I can't even raise my hand. This wasn't on my list today. <laughs> wasn't on my list to raise my hand, right? <laughs> there are a lot of type A people here, right? Type A people, you're going to have a hard time following God into spring. Because he is not going to give you all the answers to all your questions. Here's why. Let me just tell you why. If God... He played out the plan from start to finish for you, it would terrify you. If he said to you, we're going to go into this, and then in the next season, you're going to lose this relationship, and you're going to suffer this health thing after you take this step, and you're going to think you're going to walk through this door, but that's going to close on you, and you're going to feel really disappointed and really depressed for a few days. Then I'm going to open a bigger door, and you're going to feel really excited, and then that's going to come with work, and then you're going to, like, if, if he mapped out the entire plan, how many of you know it would be like, I'm not doing that? I tell you right now, in 2005, when I started this church, if God would have said, here's the next 17 years, here's what it's going to look like. Do COVID, uh, I'm going to bring this loss, you're going to have this happen, you're going to have these people come and go from your church mad, you're going to have this break, you're going you're gonna to do this, you're going to do, I, I would say, nah, I'll just be a teacher or something like that. Like for me, I would, I would just, I would just go to the inner city and be, not, not the teacher's not hard. I'm not, don't, don't, don't send me email. I'm saying for me personally, like that, if, if I didn't do this, I would, I, I would love to be an inner city school teacher. That would be my heart. Like I, I just, I love it, right? Like I don't know if it was too much hardball movie, the movie hardball, what it was, but I just, you never seen hardball, watch it. And so watch the, watch the Christian version of it without the cursing. And so like, but but like, I, I just have always loved that. That would be my plan for my life. I would just go teach and I would coach and I would, I would mess with kids and I would make fun of them and we would laugh and all that. that. That's my heart. This is God's heart for my life. Stand up on a stage, talk for three times a week, figure out what you're going to say the next week, cry a little bit, all that stuff, have stuff break. Not, like, I, I would not want any part of this. And so here's what God said. Start a church. What's going to happen next? I don't want to tell you. <laughs> when am I going to get a building? We'll talk about that later. When are people going to come? We got a lot of work to do in you before I trust people under your care. Where am I going to live? In an apartment with pink carpet. <laughs> right? Like it's just, he, 
If he gave you clarity, it would actually bring fear into your life. So what does he do? He, he just, he just tell, tells you, hey, just go. Stop, stop waiting and asking and trying to figure. This is what, this is what Moses is doing. Well, are they going to listen to me? Like, think about Moses. If you actually read the whole, the whole story, Moses says, what am I supposed to tell him? And here's what God tells him. I love this. He says, tell him I am. What? Could you imagine if I did an evangelism service and I was like, hey, we're going to go out into Phoenixville and uh, we're going to tell people about Jesus and here's what you're going to do. You're going to go there and go talk to them a little bit. When they ask you who you're talking about, you just say, I am. They're going to, be, they're going to think you are weirder than they already think you are. You want me to roll up into the place where I haven't seen people for 40 years. I've run. They don't even like me anyways because I used to be a prince in Egypt. You want me to roll in there and tell them after 40 years, I met you in a bush that was burning, but it wasn't burning. And you talked to me. And, and, and when, you, when I asked, well, who is? I am. I am. Talk to me. God, they're not going to listen to me. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Hey, God, how many, pl- how many plagues are going to happen in Egypt? I'm not going to tell you until you get there. In fact, one of my favorite parts of the story is he packs everything up, and as he packs everything up, and he's heading to to Egypt, right, and he's going, God stops him in the middle and says, oh, by the way, I'm going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. Tell me that back at the bush. (laughs) If he would have told him back at the bush, would he have ever left? Stop asking God for all of the answers, right? The Bible says in Hebrews 11, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see, and without faith... It is impossible to please God. This is a faith step. Let me just give you two more, and you can come play me out. Number three is this. is Step one, here's, the, here's two really important things. Step one is always the most difficult. Step one is always the most difficult. You, you want to you change and go where God is calling you to do. Step one is always the most difficult. I got to break up with this person. I got I to gotta switch jobs. I, 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 man, God wants me to go to a different college. I remember even that back in the day, like step one, when God began to stir my heart, it was like, I got to switch college. I got to go to Bible college. I don't even like the Bible. Like, I'm just being honest with you. I don't like church. You want to be a pastor? What, you and step, what was step one? Sign up to go to Southwestern Assemblies of God University. Step two was breaking up with, with the girlfriend that I thought I was in love with. That was in Pennsylvania. Step three was getting in the, in the car, riding in the back seat and crying for 24 hours. Step four was my mom and dad in the middle of the trip, literally halfway there saying, get in, you're going to drive. I'm tired of you crying. <laughs> Step five was running into an orange, orange bucket, of that construction bucket. They're filled with water, if you ever wondered. <laughs> Blew up because I wasn't paying attention. Like this, step after step, but the first step, most difficult. I remember it was just, it was just a really difficult step. I'm telling you, the first step is the most difficult. The, the, the first step is always the hardest. In fact, uh, I love when Moses goes to his father-in-law, and uh, I know the first step is difficult because he tells his father-in-law, hey, uh, um, I want to go back to Egypt. He doesn't say God's called him. He doesn't say anything. I want to go back to Egypt and uh, see if any of my relatives are alive. He doesn't even tell them. I'm going, I'm going to roll up in there, and I'm going to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. You know why? Because he knows Jethro is not going to let him take his, his, his wife, which is his daughter. He's going to say, no way. So he kind of bends the truth a little bit and says, I'm going to go see if anybody's alive. You ever been there? Like my dad last night was like talking, two nights ago, we were talking about parenting. And he was like talking about his dad and all that stuff. And and he started sharing a story about when he crashed his dad's car and uh, came back and and his dad wasn't even mad. And he was like, it's okay, we have insurance. And he told me the story and I pictured myself. I'm like, there is no way that would come out of my mouth. So either I'm a bad parent or there's more to the story. 
So I said, hey, I said, what, what was going on? He said, well, I never told him. I was, uh, I was like screwing around in his car and messing around with my friends and I backed into something. And I said, you never told him that? He was like, no, nah, I took that one to the, his grave. Like he's dead. I'm never going to tell him, talk about it in heaven someday, right? And I was like, that's why he was fine with it. You would have, so this, like, I, I got to go back. I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to go see if my relatives are, oh, why he's terrified. The first step is always the most difficult. Well, what is God calling you to do? And here's what you remember. Don't have to have enough faith to finish what God is calling. Just, just enough faith to start. I don't have to have enough faith to finish. I don't have enough faith to keep going. I just have enough faith to start. And let me just give you one more thought. Number four, the steps to follow. This is my most, this is my, this is where it gets good. The steps to follow give you the opportunity to experience God's power and his provision. I want you to think about this. Uh, how cool was Moses' life? Like, how cool was it? Like, it didn't end up that cool, if I'm honest with you. But he had a good 40-year run after this. He lived to about 120, something like that. He had a great, that next 40 years was incredible. He walks up into to, to Egypt. He tells Pharaoh to let my people go. Pharaoh says no. Boom, plague. Bring frogs. I mean, awesome, right? Walk in again. Boom. You know how many people go? Boils. Finally, finally, he, he gets to be part of the Passover, which is an incredible moment in the Bible where the Lord sends the angel of death, and because there's blood on the doorpost of the Jewish people, the angel passes over, but every, every uh, boy under the age of, I think, two, they died or whatever it was. Like, it, it was an incredible moment. Then he leads the people out of Egypt, and as he's leading them out of Egypt, they plunder the Egyptians. They just take stuff, and they leave. They leave rich. They leave wealthy. They get to the Red Sea. The army's charging against them. They're coming to get them. They've reconsidered. They're mad. And the Bible says that Moses has a front seat in the, to the Red Sea being parted. And then he walks, he walks on dry land through the Red Sea. And as they get to the other side, he turns. And, and the Egyptians are running towards him. The chariots and the, and the strongest army in the world. And in a moment, he watches God wipe them out. I mean, can, can you imagine like the Bible in Isaiah talks about this. They're talking about what Moses saw. He, he, he gets into the wilderness. They're hungry. God sends manna, quail. They get thirsty. God brings water from a rock. Like this is an incredible life that he lives. And he gets to live it because he was willing to take the step of obedience. And this is the coolest part of the spring. You step out and you begin to experience growth and opportunity that only God could bring in your life. See, if you would ask me, what, is, what are most Christians missing? What are they, what are they, what are they lacking? Why, why are people leaving the church? What, why, why do people feel like Sundays are a waste of time? Why, why do we just go through the motions? We don't experience the power and the provision of God enough in our life. Like, when's the last time you saw something happen in your life? You're like, that wasn't me. That was only God. That door was on, on, only God. It wasn't my grind and my hard work. I, I was working hard, but... God opened up a door and made a way where there seems to be no way. When's the last time you've seen the provision of God in your life where you stepped out and you began to put him first in your finances and money began to pour into your life, but you don't even understand it. Like, I can't believe he's providing for me like this. He's doing exactly what he said he would do in the book of Malachi. When is the last time that you got to experience it? And here's the thing. When you step out in faith, when you use fear as your fuel, when you let go of what he's calling you to let go of, and you're more afraid of what you're missing out on, and you begin to walk in fear, and you stop asking, man, you ever been in one of your kids? Like, stop asking so many questions. 
right on a trip. Like, I'm going to get you there. It's going to be amazing. No, we're not there yet. No, we're not going to talk on the way there. You're going to take night, NyQuil and go to sleep, right? And we're going to get there. And, and, and when you wake up, that's, that's a lot. I don't do that. I'm just playing. And when you get there, it's going to be incredible. Just stop, man. I got this. And he just gets you to your location, right? And then you stop asking so many questions. And then you just, you just follow him. You just take the first step. And you just begin to follow him. And he begins to direct and guide your steps. And as he's directing and guiding your steps, and you've stepped out on something that, listen, is physically impossible for you to do on your own. And I want to remind you of something. I've said this to our church for years, and I still believe this because we are a Pentecostal church. That means that we still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that he comes in and he moves, he heals, he convicts, he comforts, he restores, he speaks to us. He, 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 he still does what he said he was going to do in the New Testament. I think it's sad that some people are like, no, the Holy Spirit's not for me today. You're missing out on a part of the Trinity. The God that you get to experience. I don't want to just read. I, I, I hate the thought that we just read about Paul in Scripture. I want to live the life Paul lived. I want to have the experiences that he had. I want to see God move in the way that he moved in Paul's life through his spirit, power and provision. I want to step out in faith and expect him to do great things. And here's what I want to remind you. If the life you're living is anything other than a result of a God-sized miracle, you have settled in your life. You are not in spring. He is calling. Some of you, he's not. Some of you are like, oh, I'm going. He's, no, he, sit back down, buddy. You're still in the dirt. He's still doing the work. It's been a week, Right? But some of you have been, been here for years and God's been speaking to you saying, it's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to make a change. It's time to say yes. It's time to break up. It's time to let go. It's time to do this. And you've been hesitating, springing to action. Fear. I'm going to use it as fuel. I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to say yes when he calls me to say yes. I'm going to say no when he calls me to say no. I'm just asking him to give me enough faith to, to take that first step. I don't know everything that's going to happen at the end, but I'm going to trust him. And I'm going to believe as I'm going that he's going to give me everything that I need to accomplish what he's called me to accomplish. Amen. Let's stand to our feet all over this place. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's just give the Lord just a few moments to finish the work. So here's how church works. How the Bible says we're two or more gathered in his name, and the name of Jesus is lift up, lifted up, that his presence comes near. That's why we start with worship. We start with our pointing our affections and our attentions to the one that we desperately need. It's not a gimmick. It's not the opening act. It's a signal that we want God to show up. And the Bible says that when you do that, that he'll come. And so he's here. He's here. Some of you need to expect him to be here when you come here. He's here. And then we open up his word. And his word, the Bible says, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. His word is sharper than a double-edged sword. We can build our life on his word. And the Bible says as we proclaim his word that it never returns void. That has the power to change when we apply it to our lives. We don't just hear it. The Bible says don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. So God comes in, he builds faith. And then, and then at the end, during this time, uh, some of you have been coming to church here for years. You just kind of check out and you're missing the best part. Because the voice of God right now is just, it's just it, it's going to get louder and louder and louder in this room. It's not, it's not about what I'm saying. I want you to even ask God to turn my voice down. And just begin to say, God, here I am. Whatever season that I'm in, God, I, I want to respond to you. 
I want to say yes to that season. Some of you, you're in, you're in, you're in the middle of winter. We're still taught, we talked about it last week. You're still in the middle of winter. And so you're just telling God, I'm going to wait on you. Some of you in the middle of success right now, man, you've seen God move and you're on the mountaintop. And we're going to talk about that next week, how to handle that. We'll take a look at fall in a few weeks. Some of you, honestly, just going through a season of suffering. You're trying to make sense of it. We're going to take a look at what Scripture says through our suffering. But today, some of you, just very, in a real way, God is calling you to do something. He's calling you to move. He's calling you to obedience. He's calling you to a yes, a season of yes, a season of growth. He's calling you somewhere else. But to get somewhere else, you got to leave where you're at right now. you got to let go of it. So some of you are terrified. Switch that, switch that. Use your fear as fuel, right? Worry about what you're missing out, not what you're letting go of. God has it all planned. He has it all set. He has it all figured out. Some of you have been asking too many questions. God's not going to answer those. You'd be terrified. The only question you need to answer is, has God called me to it? If he calls me to it, he's going to see me all the way through it. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to take that first step. I'm going to take that first, this week, I'm going to take that first step. Today even, I'm going to take that first step. And it can maybe a conversation. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to take that first step. And I believe in faith that many of you, because of this day, you're going you're gonna to begin to see the real power and provision of God. The real power. The real provision of God. It's going to actually change your spiritual life. God's going to become realer than he's ever been. You've known him with your head but you're going to experience them through your life. And as we, we pray, if you know Christ, you're, you're kind of there. You want you just to stop listening to me right now. But maybe you don't know Christ and you're like, what does that mean? Well, uh, when I say you know Christ, I, what I mean is um, at some point in your life, you've had an experience with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me, let me just tell you what the Bible says about all of us with nobody looking around just for a moment is the Bible says that all of us are, are sinners. All of us fall short of the glory of God. That's not a dig on you. That's not dogging you. That's not putting you down. That's just reality. You're a, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We fall short of the glory of God. We come out sinning. We, we, we professionally lie. We exaggerate. We covet. We steal. We lust. That's, that's who we are. And because of that, the Bible says that we're separated from God. The wages of our sin is death and hell. That when you take your next breath after this life, your next breath eventually you'll stand before God and you'll be judged according to your life. And when you're judged according to your life and your actions, you're not good enough. And all of us deserve in that moment to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. You chose sin instead of me. The Bible says the wages of sin is death and hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who calls on him shall be saved. And here's how you do it. You confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You say no to yourself, no to control, no to being your own boss, and you say yes to surrender. I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own anymore. It's a beautiful, life-altering, eternity-defining moment that is offered at church every week. God knocks at the door of people's hearts. He knew the exact seat that you were going to sit in. He knew the exact Sunday you were going to come. He knew the exact message you were going to hear. He knew the people you were going to sit by. He knew it all. He set it all up to meet you here today.
And you're one yes away from everything changing. One yes. One yes. I can't do life on my own anymore. I'm going to say yes to Jesus Christ. I need him to be my forgiver. I need him to be my healer. I need to put my faith, my trust, and my life in his hands. Everything changes with that yes. If you're in this place, if you're in Montgomeryville, you don't know him. Uh, you would say, that's me, man. I don't know Christ, but I need to. I've tried to do it on my own, and I'm worn out. I'm overwhelmed, and I'm tired. Here's what Jesus said. He says, come to me. If you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You've been trying to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, and you were not equipped or called to do that. I'm here. I, don't, I want a relationship with you. I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Would you let him in? Would you let him in? If I'm speaking to you right now all over our houses, and you say, hey, Pastor Steve, that's me. I don't know Christ. I want to pray with you as we close. I'm not going to call you forward not going to point you out, but I do want you to do one thing. It takes a little bit of faith, a little bit of courage, a little bit of a lack of care of who's beside you. In this moment, they don't matter. It's just you and God. I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. I need to humble myself before him. I need to surrender my life to him. If that's you all over our houses and you would say, that's me all the way side to side, all the way to the top, all the way to the front, in Montgomeryville watching online, you would say, hey, that's me. That's me. Would you shoot your hand straight towards heaven for me for a second so I can pray with you? I need Jesus Christ to heal me. I need him to forgive me. I need him to set me free. I see a hand over here. Is there anybody else? Just keep your hand held high. We're going to pray together all over our houses. If you're in Montgomeryville, they're going to let me know here in a second, and we're going to pray. And even when one person responds, we all pray together. We're all family. We all need Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior. So all over our houses, would you pray something like this? Would you say, Jesus, come on now. Let's say it like you mean it. Say, Jesus, thank you for being here. Thank you for meeting me in this moment. Jesus, today, I need a relationship with you. I believe in you. I know you died on a cross for my sins. You were placed in a tomb. And on the third day, you rose in power. And because of that, you defeated both death and hell. And it's through you that today I become a brand new person. I'm filled with love. I'm filled with grace. I have mercy. I have peace. And Jesus, today I'm filled with joy. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. All over these houses, let's shout amen together. Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message, or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.